I'm Nicola Dean and this is Safeguarding Matters with the Ancraft Trust. So um, I'm here with Jez today. Um, thank you for agreeing to talk to us here at Arts, Jez. Um, and we've asked you to join us today as part of our National Safeguarding Week because we recognise that your family um, and your daughter who has autism have experience of using services and we wanted to help others recognise what good practices and to feel that they can call out poor practice as well. So I think it might be a good place to start if you can explain a little bit about some of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, my daughter Beth is autistic. Uh, her part of the spectrum involves something called demand avoidance. So the everyday demands of your normal life, Beth cannot cope with. So mm. being told to have a shower as a child um, at school where they would wanted to move, even as a, as a as an infant from sort of playing in the sand to sitting having circle time. The way Beth's brain developed, she cannot cope with those demands. She also can't relate to why an adult is in charge of a child. She actually sees everyone as equal. So who are you to tell me what I can do? And when you make me do it, I become very anxious And at that point, her brain goes into very primeval instincts. Mm. Those are fight or So if Beth can withdraw from whatever is causing the anxiety, she can run away. She will calm herself down. When she's processed everything, she will join back in again. Unable to do that, Beth is faced with the other primeval reaction, which is fight. Beth will display challenging behaviour. That started very early on where the terrible twos became the terrible threes, the terrible fours, progressed into school where the demands of school being told by a teacher to do something would result in her maybe picking up a chair and throwing it. Having what is referred to in the autistic community as a meltdown, you know, and this is uncontrolled behaviour. and the older Beth got the bigger she got the challenging behavior became much more difficult for everybody to to cope with we involved local authority because we were really struggling but unfortunately they saw it that we were lacking parental boundaries they saw a diagnosis of autism but would not recognise the the demand avoidance because it doesn't appear in a diagnostic manual. Right, yes. There was, there's no disagreement it exists, but because it's not in the manual, social services were saying, no, this is autism, and the way you deal with autism is you put boundaries in place. You put strict timetables. Those are demands. They, they triggered the behaviour. Yes. So... Um, did you understand what demand avoidance was at that stage? Did you sort of um, find out research about it or was it sort of like later on that you began to understand? At the age of seven, Beth was placed into a school. It was actually for children with emotional and behavioural difficulties. This this was as a result of social services saying it was our fault. Right. And a teacher there recognized the the pathological demand and she she mentioned it to us we looked up the criteria for that and that was our light bulb moment 
Mm. Because every every element of pathological demand avoidance Beth has got. So it's about control. It's about not understanding who people are. It's about even things like preferring to live in a world that she creates. So she does a lot of um, role play when she's anxious. So she just ticks all of these different criteria. Um, And when we went to social services with this, they just went, it it can't exist. The school put it on her educational health care plan. Social services crossed it out and wrote on that EHCP, this is not a recognised diagnosis. That, that's no difference to autism 130 years ago. It wasn't recognised then. Yes, yes. Um, that, that was the defining moment in Beth's life because if that had been acknowledged, Beth mm. would have had the support she needed. As it was, she was put into placements that specialised in autism and the mm. strategies around routines, putting demands on her timetables. They triggered the very behaviour they were wanting to avoid mm-hmm. and yet that information that 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 diagnosis if you like that the teacher was able to give as you said could have been really pivotal and would have contained such important information in terms of knowing how to care and support Beth going forward and, and it was missed yeah. at that opportunity so what happened after that Beth was I mean, we could not cope with Beth at home on our own. Mm. I'm out at work all day. Mum was in the situation where she would frequently get called by the school to go and pick Beth up. Beth was eventually excluded from the age of six. Um, And she found herself in the, the, the special educational needs system. Beth eventually was placed into residential schooling. But again, they were autistic focused and Beth just became more distressed. Yeah. And placement after placement said, we can't deal with this. Social services, local authority kept putting her in other ASD schools. At no point did somebody look back and go, we keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Mm, yeah. What yeah. are we doing wrong? 16 different placements wow. collapsed wow. and you, you find you, you, you actually become in a, in a situation where you're in a placement and they, honestly they lasted as short as four days so the placement mm-hmm. because Beth had a big um, budget attached to her yeah. because of the difficulties placements would come yeah we can do this then the reality was they couldn't they yeah. would give notice immediately Local mm. authority are then looking for a very reactive placement mm. instead mm. instead of having a very planned approach. Yes. Yeah. So, so the best just went through this revolving door mm. of placement after placement. Mm. Mm. And that must have been so even more unsettling for her and, and for you as a family, because you might you must sort of think, well, at what point are we going to be believed or are we going to find the right thing for Beth? Absolutely. And Beth, Beth is the sort of person that, to this day, she needs to build relationships. She yeah. needs to trust people around her mm. because of her anxiety levels. Mm. 
when, when she's being moved from pillar to post, she's never able to form those bonds. No, no. The service can't support. No, and well, nobody could really, could they? But even no. more so for for your d- daughter who's got those additional needs in in those areas. So did did you feel? Um, how did you cope with that? How did you feel at the time going through that really difficult phase? It was just a whirlwind of emotion. You're spending so much of your time. Obviously, you're trying to work. You're trying to function with the rest of the family. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time of dealing with the distress of having your child away from home, mm. you're you're trying to understand the system that you're within. Mm. You are because it, it became a very combative relationship. Yeah. We we were challenging what they were doing because we knew it was wrong. Mm. Mm. it accelerated because what happened was there was an incident where uh, Beth became challenging and a provider who couldn't cope with Beth phoned the police the police come along the first thing they do is restrain Beth Mm. Beth likes deep pressure Beth likes you know being held in the same way that you and I like to hug so being sat on by 10 police officers isn't a bad thing for Beth They then put you in a car and they take you away. So they've actually removed you from the trigger of the anxiety. That's Mm. a good thing. They put you in a cell on your own. Mm. You like being alone. You like being in a a dark cell because you haven't got the bright stimulus. Mm. You are safe. You're on your own. They give you hot chocolate. They give you food. Mum and dad turn up and they give you hug and loves. Mm. Mm. So what Beth was actually taught was if you become even more challenging, you can enter what is a very predictable pattern that she controlled. Yeah. In, in a, I guess in a bizarre way, did that become helpful? Did people then realise that, that, um, that the care going forward really needed to be thought about? No, it went the other way. Mm. Social services refused that. What they said instead was they were running out of placements Beth was at risk of entering the criminal justice system because of the involvement with the police. And therefore, their solution was Beth had to be admitted to an assessment and treatment unit um, under a section where her medication and her behaviours can be assessed and treated with therapeutic environments and therapeutic interventions. Beth was against our wishes placed into secure care right and and was so ideally when we look at what should happen ideally in assessment and treatment units individuals should go in there be assessed and be released quickly that's that's the the, the purpose it's not meant to be for people to to stay there year on end but we know that that happens what was beth's experience horrific beth is autistic as i said earlier She also, as part of that, has a lot of sensory requirements. Mm. So she doesn't like bright environments. She cannot tolerate noise. She cannot tolerate unpredictable situations. Mm. They are the triggers for the the behaviours. So putting Beth in a ward with 12, 15 other young people who are themselves very distressed, a bright environment with fluorescent lighting. Mm. You'd got huge amounts of noise, not only distress, but young people playing their music. It just triggered the worst in Beth. Mm. 
Plus mm. being taken away from home, not being able to be visited by parents. Within three weeks, Beth was placed in what they call seclusion. Nice. So Beth was placed in a 10 foot by 12 foot room that was designed to manage short term um, distress behavior. So yeah. there is nothing in these rooms apart from a thin mattress on the floor. There's mm. nothing else. Because as soon as they tried to remove Beth back onto the ward, the behaviours would happen again. They would put her back in seclusion. Mm. Beth saw uh, seclusion as a good thing because it took her away from the, the anxiety mm. treatment. Yes, yeah. Beth stayed in that seclusion room for over two years. And when I went to visit Beth, I would kneel down at a hatch in a door and, and talk to my child through a hole. The same hole they passed the food through to her. Um, that environment deprived Beth of the two things that she needs to do, and that is the fight or flight. She couldn't get away from it and she couldn't become challenging because everybody was on the other side of the door. So at that point, Beth turned to self-harm. She had witnessed it on the, the short time she'd spent on the ward. So anything she could get her hands on, that she could cut with, she would do that. Um, she would use her own clothing as a ligature. This would regularly result in Beth being restrained when she would use her clothing around her neck. Groups of men would come in the room, pin her to the floor, um, remove all of her clothing. They would either leave her naked or force her into what they call secure clothing, which is clothing you can't rip up. It's very stiff. It's very scratchy. And again, triggered Beth's sensory needs. It, it was a hellish environment for Beth. It sounds it was, absolutely horrific. It doesn't sound like anything that you can imagine i mean when when you first said that beth was put into um a secure room a side room i in, initially i thought you meant as a one-off but she actually ended up that was her living environment for that period of time is is that is that what you're saying yeah, yeah. that's that's horrendous and i guess the people who were people must have been making decisions around that at the time somebody must have been authorizing that i i assume as part of her Care. Yeah, there is a responsible clinician and his word goes. Mm. All of the, I, I can't even use the word treatment, I mm. can't use the word care, but the, I guess yeah. the management of Beth was, was based on reducing risk. It mm. wasn't the therapeutic approach that we were promised. No. This was, you know, and I'm, I'm talking at times being placed in handcuffs, being placed in leg straps, um, being put under huge amounts of medication where you'd, you'd turn up to visit Beth and she would just sit dribbling, unable mm. to stay awake. So chemical restraint as well as physical restraint. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was just hell. It's, it's also, I know that you tell this story because... Um, uh, not not story you relive this because you want people to understand really uh, as as the process of what happened and um really as you're talking I can just sort of 
hear and feel that every one of Beth's rights as a human being were being sort of stripped away from her, really, and also your rights as family members as well. How did this, how did it, how did you get Beth out of this situation? What what changed? Gosh, um, I mean, the, it, it, the, the situation sort of, I'm trying to think the best way to phrase this because it, mm. we're missing out a chunk. Yes, I, yeah. I guess um, because she ends up in another environment that's actually far worse um, that doesn't even have the hole in the door to talk to her through. Um, wow. wow! So it escalated to being even more restrictive. Yes, yes. Impossible. We yeah. we actually took legal action against against the local authority against the local CCG. And it, it was settled in a ju- judicial review mediation meeting. They admitted that they had damaged Beth. Mm. They admitted they had delayed a return to the community. And at that point, you know, we thought that this will be the change. They mm. will find somewhere m- more suitable for Beth. She was about to turn 18, so she couldn't stay at St Andrews. She had to move because mm. that was an adolescent unit. Within a very short space of time, we found Beth moved to a unit in Wales for people with personality disorders. Beth doesn't have a personality disorder. Mm. She, at this point, had the diagnosis of autism with traits of PDA. So that side of her had finally been acknowledged. Mm. But it was the first available bed. Mm. They, they had no strategies, no training, no mm. understanding of autism, and they'd never heard of, of PDA. Mm. So their ability to cope with Beth was, was zero. And it was an adult unit. So for the first time in her life, Beth was placed in a ward full of distressed adults. And she, although she was chronologically 18, mm. you know, Beth is at that point, 10, 11, 12 years old from a a functioning age. It terrified her. So Beth did what Beth does and got herself secluded. Mm. And that's where she stayed. Mm. And there was no hole in the door this time. We would kneel down and talk to each other under the door. We Mm. couldn't hold hands. Mm. And and Beth crumbled. They, they, They made Beth sit on the floor at the end of the room. She had no chair. And she'd sit on the floor. She'd have to hold her legs up before they would even open the door to slide the food in. It was like they were feeding a wild animal. Wow. Wow. To to people, to to generally to the the public, they would think, how is how has this been allowed to happen? It's just not. Yeah. Just unbelievable. Again, it's this. Beth was perceived as being a risk, and that was their their risk management. And for me, the, the, the thing that, why, why weren't people fighting this? Yes. Why weren't the staff who were saying to us when we turned up to visit Beth, this is unacceptable, this shouldn't be happening to your mm. child? Mm. Mm. You know, staff would walk us down the, the corridors to go and see Beth and they would be in tears. Really? So yeah. did they not feel that they could speak out, do you think, or what 
as you say, why were they not speaking out? Do, do you think? What fear. To that fear. Mm. Fear of the repercussions of speaking out. Yeah. <laughs> the the units that Beth were in were very remote locations. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I guess even finding work in some of those areas could be difficult. So, mm. you know, who's going to put their job on the line? There was in in the later unit clearly a, a culture within that unit where some of the staff would mimic Beth. They would mimic her her voice. Beth's from Birmingham. She has a Birmingham accent. Mm. Mm. This was Wales, so they they would. They would take the mickey out of Beth for that. They would mimic the way that she rocks to comfort herself. Yeah. Um, and was they, this they, was this picked up? This was this because that is a level of of um, abuse, isn't it? It's psychological um, abuse, sort of. I, I, I guess doing things that they know would add additional trauma and upset Beth. Was was that something that you reported, or did was that? reported by other staff within the unit beth reported it she reported right. it obviously to her, her to her lead nurses she reported it through her advocate she reported it to us and we raised it yeah. with the provider with um commissioners the the crazy reason we were given for them not being able to progress it was beth wasn't able to tell them the date that these things were happening. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she could because... in the staff, she could say who was on shift at the time. Mm, mm. Because she wasn't aware, because she's locked in a room yeah. with nothing uh, that would tell her what the date was. Yeah. But they wouldn't progress those. How could she even know what the date was? I mean, if, as you say, there's nothing for her to, to see. Um, there's no way for her to know. I, I just I think, you, you know, you've identified some really key areas there of how abusive practices could happen. And, and it's crazy how some of these things are not picked up. But I think there are some real learning points from. I mean, we've seen lots of learning um, and lots of um, inquiries in, in the media. Um, and then uh, obviously we had Transforming Care, which was aimed at sort of changing this, changing the way that people are, are, are treated and and really focusing down on the, the use of um, assessment and treatment units and what should and shouldn't happen. But so in, in your experience, what do you think contributed to, to some of the perhaps abusive cultures that occurred in, 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 in your experience from where Beth was? People under the control of a figure of authority yeah. who will obey just about everything without challenge mm -hmm. you know and i remember when i looked into this coming across the the milgram experiment where subjects were told that they would be asked questions and if they got the questions right then some it would be good if they got the questions wrong somebody would receive an, an electric shock oh, i've heard of that yes and the more questions they got wrong, the harder that shock was mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. point at which they were told it was life threatening. Mm -hmm. People still went ahead with that because they were being told 
answer another question, answer another question. And despite them being able to hear what they thought was the screams of the the person being shocked, mm. they continued. This is people being given orders to carry out the most horrific and, yeah. and, and nobody challenging. And I guess to be um, um, a lone worker in that environment, to be the one that sticks your head above the, the uh, parapet, is, is put, it puts you in that difficult position, doesn't it, as a, as a member of staff to do that. But this is why we always, you know, we, we this is why we want to shine a light on this, really, is because, you know, staff need to feel empowered to be able to, you know, they can recognise what's right and wrong. Um, we don't want people to feel that they've got to go along with regimes which are not right, because if, if usually if you feel that something is wrong, you've got a gut feeling that it's wrong. It usually is wrong. And at that point, people should be questioning and and asking about that practice. In our experience, the people that were saying to us this is wrong were mm. in the majority. Mm. There must have been far more thinking this is wrong. Mm. And I, I really, I really believe that that one person who had actually put their head above the parapet and gone, "What are we doing? Yeah. You know, th- this isn't right," mm. would have created that almost tidal wave of people following behind going, yeah. we agree, stop yeah. this. Yeah. It's that one person. It is that one person and realising that you you know, that you know can and you should do that. And, um, and organisations need to um, really look at safeguarding as, as a whole and not just see it as a crisis. Obviously, there, there is, you know, there will be crisis, but there's everything that goes behind that in terms of what a safe environment looks like for, for individuals. And people need to sort of focus down on some of those sort of um, practices and, and, and policies. But actually, um, previously, you've mentioned blanket policies, um, blanket policies being ap- applied. What, what do you mean by that? When Beth was moved into the seclusion rooms, mm. there are then policies applied to the use of those rooms yeah. that come under the NICE guidelines. Mm. So the rooms have to be a minimum size. Mm. Um, they, they need to have a clock that can be visible. And it lists mm. minimums. Mm. It doesn't say anywhere within there that the the patient needs to be provided with anything therapeutic. Right. So the things that helped Beth, like her iPad, Mm. where she would sit and watch videos on um, you've been framed that make her laugh. She's she's mad keen on animals. So she'd watch videos of guinea pigs. Those Mm. would reduce her anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. A blanket ban in seclusion rooms Mm. they they can't have any it in there they Mm. can't have a phone they can't Mm. have the ipad they can't Mm. use the internet um Mm. just a ridiculous list of Mm. things that would have helped there yeah individualized in any way no there is this blanket policy can't change it can't Mm. flex and I, I guess it sort of springs to my mind that when Beth was was put into those sorts of environments, it, it feels like it was about um, punishment rather than anything therapeutic. Because if it was about um, 
resolving the issue for Beth, I kind of think surely that would have happened, you know, that she would have been given the iPad. It, it almost feels like still in that, in that cycle, but there was a lack of understanding of Beth's needs. Oh, completely. This this was about what the service can provide, what mm. the service has mm. to provide mm. under the Mental Health Act, under NICE guidelines. Yeah. It was never person-centred care around which is what mm. it needed to be. Mm, mm, mm. This, this is the way we handle this situation, not mm. this person's needs. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And in some ways, you know, these these kind of very, very rigid practices, which um, have not sort of, which have not been supported by individual care, has sort of brought about organisational abuse, really, hasn't it? Sort of practices which have been about the organisation and not the and not the individual. Um, it's allowed. It's almost like giving permissions for these things to happen to people. Yes, absolutely. Um, gosh, if you take the horrors of places like Walton Hall. Yeah. Yes. You know, this is a, a culture of abuse where management aren't aware of what's happening on the ground mm. that care plans exist mm. but there's no input into the care plan from the patient it's just the institution has decided how yes. that person is cared for no involvement from the family the patient cqc have been doing some work around these closed cultures mm. and what they are seeing is evidence of care plans, but no evidence of care plans being followed. Yeah. And that's one of the step changes that, that mm. is being required. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, we've um, the Ancraft Trust, we've been in, involved in, in some of in, in some of the um, feedback from experts in, in relation to those changes that need to happen. Um, so I'm just thinking so going forward what do you what would you say are the key learning points from this you know if you was to if you was to give some advice to to families who are in this similar situation safeguarding safeguarding yeah safeguarding to use the safeguarding procedures nhs england carried out a serious case review of beth mm. and that highlighted as one of the key learning points was that safeguarding was not understood mm. in mm. relation to Beth. It was it was all about what Beth was doing to other people, not we what yeah. they were doing to her. Yeah. There was a clear mix up as to whose responsibility safeguarding was. Mm. Was it the local authority who were paying for the bed? Was it CCG who were also paying? Mm. Mm. And a very muddied idea of who should re be reporting through the right processes. And because of that misunderstanding, it never happened. Wow. Yeah. And and do, and you did the um, review sort of put that straight? Did it say what should happen? Did it as it would that would those experiences? It's a potential that those experiences could still happen. Yes, absolutely. The 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 review just makes recommendations. Mm. The recommendation yeah. being that safeguarding procedures are. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, yeah, you, but people have got to know them. You have people. Yeah, yeah. People make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. People assume 
safeguarding has been carried out. Yeah. Yeah. And there lies the problem, isn't it, in, in, a, in a nutshell? Yeah. The, the assumptions that people are making. Yeah. So um, before we started the, the recording, you was you, you did have some um, really good news, actually, about where Beth is now and what Beth is doing. Can, can you share that with us? Beth was eventually moved out of seclusion following the review of her care by an autistic person. Somebody wow. who went mm. into that cell and then fed back to an independent panel that they considered Beth to be in an environment that was torturing her mm. and mm. that they feared for her life. It, it took the involvement of autistic people, which mm. is brilliant, but at the same time, it makes me very angry because those are the things that we've been saying as parents for mm. a very long time. Mm. Because of that, Beth was offered an environment. It's it's about 120 miles from home, but it is an environment that is adapted to meet all of her needs. It's mm. a very calm environment. It's mm. a very low stimulus environment. But in that provider, you have got staff who are all trained in autism, mm. who are all trained in PDA, yeah. who before Beth even went there asked me to go and give them three days of training about my daughter, what she oh, likes, what she does like, the triggers, yeah. how to communicate with her, how to mm. reduce the anxiety. Mm. So I was involved in that process from day mm. one. What we have now is the right people, the right skills, the right knowledge the right level of humanity, love and caring mm. in the right environment, doing the right things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Only changes Beth's care has been moving her two and a half hours up the motorway and taking her out of a restrictive environment into somewhere where she's free to make choices and yeah. where she's supported to do that. That's, that's amazing. 12 months, she's off the medication. She wow. she goes out every day. I go and visit and it's not through a door. We, we mm. go and take the dogs for a walk. We go fishing. We just have a brilliant life together. It's amazing. That sounds that sounds amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I, I guess um, still as a, as a family and and as and for Beth, you're still recovering um, really from what from what you've from what you've been through, but this sounds really sort of hopeful. Um, yes. Sounds. I, I think you've said some really key words there, like humanity, choices, staff being trained, um, and they're not things that we should take for granted because there, there, there should be the absolute minimum of what you can expect, um, really. Um, but th this is an amazing um, journey that you've been on, really um, harrowing, I'm sure, for you to relive. But at the same token, um, there are lots of key messages in there for people. So I do thank you so much for sharing this with us. Um, and have you got any final sort of things to say? Final words need to come from Beth. And it's something that she said to me about three weeks ago. Um, we were talking about how her life had changed and what she thought had made the difference. And she just said, 
people stopped trying to drag me into their world and instead they moved into mine. Wow, that's really insightful, isn't it? That is amazing. Yeah. 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 Beth would, would never fit in our world. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, not, she's not made that way. But being yeah. in Beth's world is brilliant. If only that could have that message could have been heard before, which I'm sure that you know you've been yeah. trying to get her voice heard for many many years, and you're there now. So um, I'm so pleased for you all. Thank you, Jazz. Thank you for listening. If you want to know more about our work, check out our website ancrafttrust.org, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at ancrafttrust. <laughs>